Well, I think I might have shared this thought with you a number of years ago. I, I don't remember, so, but I'm old, so I have permission to forget, right? Somebody please say amen. <laughs> but it was the very first time we were at a conference up at uh, City Hill Church in Eden Prairie. It was a True Bridge meeting, and uh, it was a prophetic conference of some sort. But I remember being, I was sitting, you know, kind of in the left front row where, where Mike is sitting, and I felt like the Lord was giving me this word to share. And you need to know I had never done that before. And we supposedly have all these guys that are the seasoned, tested prophets in the room. So I did what any man of faith would do. I just wrote it down <laughs> and didn't speak it. And I gave it to one of the leaders of the conference. And I said, I think this is what the Lord wants to share, wanted me to share. I didn't do it. What do you think? He says, share this word. And it went something like this. I don't. I know I have it somewhere, but I couldn't find it. It was something like this. The storm clouds are gathering. The thunder is starting to roar. And the lightning is starting to crash. Storms are coming. Difficult days are ahead. But I want you to know, I am in the clouds. I am in the thunder. I am in the lightning. And I am in those difficult days. Trust in me, says the Lord. And I thought about that this morning because my message this morning is at least going to start out like kind of a downer, especially after that awesome worship. Man, if anybody from Erskine ever watches this, no offense, we had a blast. But, oh, it's so good to be back home. And we are so blessed as a church with what we have leading us in worship on a Sunday. The title of my message is Living in Evil Days. And I do consider the days we are living in evil. Now, I know there are others out there who will disagree with me and say it's never been better. It's never been better. They they can talk about all the good things. And I look around and, and I say, I remember better days. Not just going back in time as us older people tend to do, But I truly remember better days. When I look at today and consider what's going on in the world, I just usually say something to the effect that this is crazy. This is crazy. Then I'll say something to the effect, God, what is going on? Lord, how long are you going to let this continue to take place? God, You've got to do something soon, right? And then I'm reminded that what's taking place, some of the specifics might be different, but we're not the first people, and I'm certainly not the first person to ask those questions. When you look around, we see violence. We see social strife. We see anger. We hate, see hatred. We see wickedness everywhere we turn. We see destruction Controversy, lawlessness, a legal system that continues to pass laws, but they never get enforced, where victims are treated worse than the perpetrators of the crimes. Justice seems to be a thing of the past. No moral absolutes. And without moral absolutes, it's tough to govern anybody or anything. And people lose all self-restraint. And I believe these are the things when I look around, and yes, I know there are good things happening. Thank goodness there's good things happening. 
But I look at it as a nation, maybe the world, and say, Lord, what is going on? What is a Christian supposed to do? How are we supposed to live when this is all taking place around us? The world is being gripped in fear. And we know the enemy is the source of that fear. We see all of this taking place, things that we never dreamt of. Those of us, of us that have been alive for more than 30 years can go back three, four decades and say, this wasn't even talked about. Nothing like this was ever on the radar. And now it appears like we're in a situation that we see in the prophets. Good being called evil and evil being called good. But this week I was drawn back to a book in the Old Testament. That's why it's such a heavy message here at first. Habakkuk. I just like saying it. That's why I wanted to preach on that. Habakkuk. Sounds like you're clearing your throat. (laughs) Habakkuk. But Habakkuk, about somewhere around 2,600 years ago, somewhere near 605 B.C., was looking around at the people of Judah, his people, God's people. And he could remember because just a few years before, he had lived through a revival. A man by the name of Josiah, a young man, was, came as king, and he did, they discovered the law once again. It had been evil and dark idolatry. It had been horrible. And he came and reestablished the reading of the law and the law And the people were changed. They repented even as a nation. He remembered those days. But then Josiah died. Leadership changed. Even though it was his own family, it went back to more evil than before. And he, in chapters 1, great book, Habakkuk. It's only got three chapters. Chapter 1 and 2, he starts out with a complaint, kind of like the one I just did. And then he has this discussion with God. You might even want to call it an argument a little bit. But he had the the privilege of, as a prophet, God spoke to him. He'd speak to God, and God would speak to him and told him some things, and they troubled him. And I want us to look at Habakkuk 1 first, verses 1 through 4. It gives us a picture of the condition of the people 2,600 years ago and what he was seeing. And I can't help but look back at what he wrote and say, wow, I think I can relate. Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. So he's receiving from the Lord and he's talking back to him. And he goes, how long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at all this injustice? Why do you tolerate all this wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that that justice is perverted. Things were bad really bad, evil and wickedness prevailing throughout the nation, throughout the land. This once law-abiding nation where there was peace, 
where there was morality, where they had come back to the Lord, all that had changed in a short generation. And they were just bent on wickedness and evil everywhere. As I'm referenced in Isaiah 5, verse 20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Man, there are so many things being called good and appropriate and okay that a generation ago, 30 years ago, would have been called evil by anybody that even talked about these things. And the things that are, that are, are good get ridiculed, mocked. You stand up for it, you get persecuted. And he's dealing with this over 6,000, 2,600 years ago. The law that at one time united this nation of Judah had become powerless because there was no moral absolutes anymore. There was nothing, nothing with which to govern a culture and a society. By any definition you want, justice was not prevailing. Verse 4 struck me, the wicked him and the righteous. It's a language, wicked him and the righteous. The wicked surround the white righteous. It's almost like they hem them in. They're trapped in there. What does that mean? Well, there's a scripture in Psalms 22, verse 11, that might be able to give us a better picture yet. It says, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, but there's no help. Many bulls have surrounded me. The strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me, and as a ravening and roaring lion. Bulls of Bashan, they were noted for these big, muscular bulls. The picture here is being surrounded. And the picture that is being explained to us by, by Habakkuk is the righteous are surrounded and intimidated and caused to be fearful. Therefore, they are silenced. And when the righteous are silenced, there's a vacuum that's created and wickedness and evil will fill that vacuum every time. Every time. It doesn't stay in the state form of this vacuum. Well, God answers Habakkuk in verse 5. I love this verse. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. This is the Lord speaking. Habakkuk just complained and said, Lord, look at the mess we're in. And he says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. And he is going to tell him. And when you hear something, I'm going to tell you something that's so amazing, you wouldn't believe it even if I told you. Usually my mind, maybe that's just a little bit of optimism, I go, wow, it's going to be so good, I can't believe it. Well, it really is. It's going to be so bad, you aren't going to believe this. And he goes on and he tells him. He tells him, I'm going to raise up the enemy. Babylon. They're evil. They're idolatrous. They are a pagan nation. He says, I'm going to raise them up, and they are going to come and conquer my people. Lord, are you kidding me? I mean, we're bad, but they're worse. What are you thinking? What are you doing? How could you do such a thing? And in in verse 13 of chapter 1, after he's been given a little more information just about how bad it is, he realizes the Lord knows how bad they are. And in verse 13, Habakkuk is like, I'm losing the argument, Lord, so I'm going to just turn this back on you, Lord. And he says in verse 13, 
Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow us, swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Sounds reasonable to me. My argument's not winning. Lord, you're just too holy and righteous. You can't even look on that. Why would you do such a horrible thing? And then God reminds him and he tells him, I know they're evil and they will get theirs. My justice will ultimately prevail. They are going to do no more or no less than I allow them to do. And they are going to be judged harshly for what they do. God is saying, my justice will ultimately come. It will come. And it will come soon. And then in verse 4 of chapter 2, the last part of the verse, there's a, this verse was used by men to change the world. Paul quotes it in the New Testament twice, both in Romans and Galatians. And the writer of Hebrews also quotes it. Three different times it's quoted. It changed the direction of Martin Luther's life and it caused a reformation of sorts to take place. What did he say? What did the Lord say? He just simply said, the righteous shall live by faith. And it's interesting when you look at the context. Most all of us have heard that verse somewhere. The righteous shall live by faith. And now we see it's in the context of God and Habakkuk having this conversation. And God is saying, I'm going to bring the enemies in. They're going to conquer you. And they are going to discipline you. But I'm going to do it because even in my judgment, there is always mercy. Mercy. If nothing else, God's mercy is demonstrated in drawing his people back to himself. When these things in the world get worse and get more evil, get more dark, where can we possibly turn for help? Not the world, not politicians, the Lord. The Lord, the righteous shall live by faith. Lord, how am I supposed to live in a Christian in the wickedness I see everywhere? The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous by faith. And then Habakkuk says, I will wait for you to explain and then I will reply after I'm corrected. I love that. I'm going to wait patiently, Lord. I don't get it. I don't think I like it. But I'll wait and I'll respond after you rebuke me and correct me. And in chapter 2, God acknowledges the wickedness of the Babylonians. He assures Habakkuk that they're going to be severely judged. He assures them that his justice will prevail. And it concludes in chapter 2 with him making this statement, Habakkuk making this statement. It's either a statement of faith or a statement of self-criticism. I'm not sure which. But he says, the Lord is in the holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Habakkuk realizes God knows what's going on. He realizes he is a just God and his justice will ultimately be served. And he's beginning to realize that he's a good God and his grace will be sufficient. He will demonstrate his mercy. His people will be drawn to himself back to the Lord. He understands he's beginning to get this and it changes his 
perspective completely. As chapters 1 and 2 were a discussion between the Lord and Habakkuk, chapter 3 is totally different. It's a prayer. It's a poem to be sung. He turns to praise. God, I was so excited about those first two songs this morning. I'm thinking, Lord, this, this message is heavy. I even asked Cindy Barnes, remember the slide? Go ahead and put the, the title slide up. If there's if somebody hiding behind that screen. All right. I asked Cindy Barnes, I said, the title is so heavy. Can we come up with a picture that's not quite so heavy? And I love the clouds with the rays of sunshine coming through. In the midst of it, the Lord is still involved. There is light. There is light. And Habakkuk has finally got this, and he turns to praise. He turns to praise. The whole chapter 3 is about the glory of God and the mighty acts he's done, how amazing he is, and he is worthy to be praised no matter what's going on. Praising him. In 3, 1 and 2, it says, This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord, and I am filled with awe at your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. He starts to praise. And we need to realize and understand this. I believe this is so true. Praising God builds our faith. Praising God builds our faith. Praising God builds faith. All of this noise we're hearing from the world is designed by the enemy to steal our faith, to bring us fear, to get us all consumed with all the stuff we're seeing. And it it, it is bad. I'm not saying it's not, but we need to remember faith. The righteous live by faith no matter what's going on in the world around us. We need to remember praise builds our faith. And when you get down and depressed and things are going terrible, and if you just stop and start thinking about who God is and what he's done, how he rescued you personally, how he saved you personally, what he has done in creating the world, created the universe, all of these amazing things, and all of a sudden you realize these issues are not a big deal to God. They're a big deal in the sense he hates evil, but they're not a big deal in the sense he can turn this thing around anytime he wants. When his purposes for what's taking place are fulfilled, he is going to turn this thing around. He's doing things and allowing things, I believe, to draw his people to himself. Get our eyes off of the things of the world that we're looking to for security and satisfaction and saying there is only one place I can go here, God, and that's to you, to trust you. Habakkuk in verse 16, again, I I like these things when I can relate so easily to it because he's now going to share, Lord, this is how my heart felt when you told me what you were going to do. He says, I heard... My heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity or the day of judgment to come on the nation invading us. I will wait patiently for your justice, God. I will wait patiently. We need to, as Christians, walking in faith, living by faith, 
realize something's going on and God is going to come and he is going to bring judgment eventually. And in his judgment, there is always mercy and there is grace for his church and his people. It doesn't mean we aren't going to suffer some pains. There's no doubt about that. But there is mercy. And like I said before, if the only thing that happens in this horrible thing that's taking place all around us is it draws his people to himself, what an act of mercy. What an act of mercy that is. In the next three verses, 17, 18, and 19, I can never read these verses without thinking of a brother who's in heaven, Glenn Larson. I heard him speak these verses so many times to so many people to build faith, to strengthen us. And this comes out of Habakkuk. He is speaking. He says, you know what, Lord? Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and he enables me to go on the heights. He's just declaring, Lord, if total devastation comes, and remember in the back of your mind, when the Babylonians conquered, there was total devastation that came. And he is saying, if total devastation comes, it doesn't matter. I am not going to be strengthened. I'm not going to count on anything natural. If, I, if all of it's gone, and when you look at all of that, that's their livelihoods, that's their food, that's, their, that's everything for these people. He says, Lord, I'm not, I'm not going to rely on that. I am not going to rely on that. I mean, what if we are all of a sudden are discovering our homes are gone, our cars are gone, our savings accounts are gone. What are we going to do? What we should be doing now. Relying on God. My faith is in you, Lord, no matter what happens, no matter what comes. That's where my faith is. The righteous live by faith no matter what is taking place. Rejoicing in God. Rejoicing. What does that mean, rejoicing in God? I'm going to just offer up a definition you probably won't find in a dictionary. Rejoicing in God, I believe, is way more than just singing the song. It's way more than just singing these words. I believe rejoicing in God means we are delighting in Christ above all other things, everything. We are rejoicing in Him. And when we rejoice in Him above all things else, our faith builds. Our faith gets stronger. The righteous live by faith. When Habakkuk, Habakkuk understood the supremacy of Christ, he could knew. He knew then that he could rest in God's Word, the promises of his word, the pleasures that God promises in his word, and he could rely on God's strength. Boy, you hear people say, I'm so weary. I'm so tired. Yeah, we might say those things when we're exhausted. We've had a busy day or worked really hard. But there's a thing taking place in our culture that is just wearing us out. There's this heaviness. There's this oppression in the culture that's causing a weariness. Fatigue, strength is waning. It's gone. Paul exhorted us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is my 
strength. We need to connect those dots. It's more than just a few words put in a sentence. The joy of the Lord is my strength. My strength is his strength in me. It's not me, my strength. I get weak, I get tired, I get weary, but the joy of the Lord is my strength. His strength is always available to his people. And the joy of the Lord, rejoicing, brings joy to the heart of each and every one of us. Especially when things are tough. Remember Isaiah wrote these words again, probably familiar in Isaiah 40. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord doesn't mean just sit down in a chair and say, okay, God, how long? Waiting upon the Lord means waiting on him and declaring who he is, remembering who he is, remembering his promises, remember all that he has said in his word. I will be joyful in God my Savior, the words of Habakkuk. Augustine, an old guy, quoted it this way. He said it this way, where it says, I will be joyful in God my Savior. It's like, "Uh uh-huh, who's my Savior? He says, I will be joyful in God, Jesus. We have a Savior, Jesus. Pastor Matt was sharing as we were preparing for communion. Jesus, think about what he did. Just that act, one act, dying on a cross, as unbelievable it is, he did so many things, and he's still doing things in our lives every day, every day. I'm going to do something I've never, ever, ever done before. I'm going to read a post from somebody's Facebook page. God, help me. Seriously, the lady that wrote this, many of us in here know her doesn't live in the area anymore. And there was a horrific betrayal in her family. And she's trying to work through it. It's something that would have been a public humiliation and public shame. But she wrote these words in one of her posts. If the devil can get your joy, he will have your strength. My fabulous counselor said those inspiring words to me a few weeks ago. I've been feeling rather weak and defeated. So it goes without saying that because of that, I haven't been very joyful. The weight of the heaviness of this reality has been a lot to take lately. What happened? Where did I go wrong? I allowed the devil to steal my joy when I listened to his lies. No joy equals no strength. I have a Savior who intercedes for me in heaven. He is nonstop praying for me, rooting for me, and I have complete faith in him. And I also have an enemy who is warring for my life. He doesn't want me to win. He is fighting for me to lose. This struggle I am in is real, and I mean real. Satan already knows he has no hope of heaven. He will spend his eternity in hell, and he wants to take as many of God's children with him as he can. And I would add, make as many of God's children's testimony as worthless as he can. As a Jesus follower... One way I can let him have victory is by giving into the facts of this ugly reality I live in and lose my joy. If I am to be battle-ready and stand on the truth that that with Jesus I can combat the devil's schemes, it's essential that I keep my joy. My joy comes from the Lord, and that is what my strength is. Powerful words. 
going through a situation that I wouldn't wish on anybody here. But she realizes the joy of the Lord is her strength. And when we look at what's going on in the world, it's easy to lose that joy. And if we lose that joy, our faith wanes, and all of a sudden our strength is gone. And really, Satan roars around like that roaring lion. And as long as we're built up and filled filled with strength and faith, we can resist him and we see his schemes. But when he sees us weary and worn, worn out and not relying on the strength of the Lord, he knows we're vulnerable. And we need to understand that. The joy of the Lord is my strength. My praise and my worship of him will build up my faith. And then he finishes that by saying, the hind's feet, he gives me the feet of deer to go to the high places. That can mean so many things, and it's been said to mean so many things. But I just know, living in our lives the way we are and what's going on, it's a slippery slope we're on. And for us to, to ascend to the high places, and when I went refer to the high places, I'm standing on the rock of Jesus Christ. And for us to get there, and he says, he will give me what I need to ascend to those high places and stand on the rock of Jesus Christ where I'm safe and secure. How should we be living in these days of evil? The righteous live by faith. Faith in God's word, it never changes. Faith in God's mercy, his mercies are new every single morning. Faith in God's grace, his grace is always sufficient. And faith in his promises, his promises are all yes and amen. If the worship team would like to come up here, that'd be great. With this comes the grace to rest in joy in the peace of the Lord. By doing this, not only do we benefit, but we are able to be light and hope to the world around us. You and I have the great privilege and the great calling to be distributors of the joy of the Lord, the peace that passes all understanding, the joy that comes from knowing who we are in Christ. The world is looking, starving for joy, peace, hope. We have it in us if we are Christians by the Holy Spirit that's there. And we cannot let Satan steal it. Even in the midst of this, we need to be that salt and light. This is how we need to live in these days of evil. In the case that felt like a downer, I wanted them to come up and sing the song, sing a hallelujah again. So if you're able, let's stand together. Praise you, Lord. Father, would you just, by your spirit, by your spirit, help us to remember how amazing you are. And God, fill each one here fresh and anew with a sense of joy. God, as we worship you and praise you, God, let our praises drive away fear, drive away oppression, drive away the enemy as your church, your children. Declare who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, are we ready to raise a holiday?